coming straight from the underground. It's the Sports Hub Underground with Matt Dolph and Ty Anderson. Welcome back, folks. Time for another episode of the Sports Hub Underground podcast. Ty and I are not taking a week off. We're not going on hiatus. We're doing another episode. Ty, how are you? Hey, what's going on? Good to see you. I like your uh, Grizzlies hat. Van, Van City Grizz, baby. Yeah. Bring them back. You're going to need to come into the office at some point, though, because our friend Craig uh, with a K on Twitter has dropped off our uh, our own Sports Hub Underground hats, and uh, oh, which I'm I currently wearing. I saw I saw a picture of it on Twitter, and I loved it. So I'm going to have to do that. You're going to have to – Craig is going to make me drive to Dorchester, which is something that is uh, very uh, very rare for me. So, so he very, can hang his hat on that, and I will wear the hat that very, he has sent me. Thanks to our friend Craig for giving us the hats. I'll, uh, I'll tweet out a photo of it before we release this podcast. If you're listening, it's, uh, it's Thursday, but we are recording on Wednesday because that's just how it goes. But – um. Yeah, I mean, I was hoping we'd have a lot of hockey to talk about, but unfortunately, the Bruins have only played one game. And uh, meanwhile, the Florida Panthers have already clinched the Atlantic Division. And so, I mean, it's good that the Bruins have 81 games at hand on the rest of the division, but uh, that that's wonky. Uh, is, is there any explanation for this? Because uh, entering today, Wednesday, October 20th, the Bruins have played one game. And meanwhile, every other team in the Atlantic Division has played at least three games. And I think you mentioned before that they have a jam-packed schedule in April. But why, why are the Bruins, like, literally the only – I know there's a few teams that have played only two games to this point. But why are the Bruins the only team in the league that, that is, has such a thin schedule to start the year? Is there any explanation for it? I, I don't know. I, I don't have one. I mean, if there is one, I, I, I don't have it. But I believe as of last night, uh, the Bruins officially became the only team in the NHL that only play one game. Because uh, Jersey played their second game, and uh, I want to say there was one more team that played their second game of the season. But it's just ridiculous. I mean, it, it's absolutely preposterous that, that we're doing this, especially because, um, you know, we, we're going to have the schedule here in April where they're playing basically double headers. it seems like, every day. And, and right. so I don't get it. Usually the Bruins would begin the season on the road because the circus was in town. If you remember this, this, this was always the case. The Bruins would always begin on the road. Because the circus took over the garden for like eight days. Yeah, Disney on ice. Anymore. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't happen anymore. That's that's gone now. Yeah, there's no circus. There's no Disney on ice. You know, it was an empty building basically for the last week plus, and and they didn't do anything with it. So I, I don't get it. It's very confusing. It's very very bizarre. The the part that I find very confusing really is that like so they have this new TV deal right with with Turner and with ESPN. You don't think Turner ESPN would want one of would wouldn't want the Boston market in one of their games, one of their first games, a gigantic TV market that always does good ratings. I know. Like they're Boston- just like, now nah, we're good. We're gonna we're gonna go with uh, the Islanders and the Blackhawks yeah. and the Avalanche. Like, like just Boston an and- odd decision. So I don't get it. Like Boston and New York, I thought would have been a no brainer, something like that, or a Boston and Philly, which will happen Wednesday night on TNT. Like that would have. I feel like that would have been a no brainer for the first week of the season, but. I don't know. It is what it is. It would be. It's like it would be one thing if there were other teams were like, "Hey, we're in the same boat." But it's like, Bruins are out here on on all one game island over here. It's just weird. But um, yeah, I guess we can we can talk about the one game that we have to go by at this point in the recording. Uh, when people are listening to this, they will have played the Philadelphia Flyers. But for now, we're going to stick with the season opener against the Dallas Stars. I thought they looked really good, and I thought the the areas where they improved 
uh, that really jumped out at me, uh, particularly the third line. Uh, you wrote about Jake DeBrusque getting getting uh, the monkey off his back early there, getting the game-winning goal there. Or uh, was it the game? Yeah, it was the game-winning goal. Yep. Um, so, yeah, it came at five-on-five, five, crashing the net. Uh, I, li- I liked Eric Halla. I liked Nick Foligno. I liked the mix there. I liked the combinations. I think they fit really well together, and I think that's going to be a good grinding line for them. So, I mean – like we already know, we already know what the first line can do offensively, and Brad Marchand's obviously still a beast and all that stuff. And I mean, if you have a take on the first line, that's fine. But at the third line to me is one that they really needed to be better than last year, and that to me was a big difference. So uh, I don't know what's what's your take on that? Yeah, no, they were great. I, I mean, you saw what they can do. Um, you, you saw sort of their usage or deployment. Uh, a lot of offensive zone minutes. Uh, but they were able to have some good kills, I think, in their in their own end as well to help play get the other way. Hall had a great uh, back check on. I want to say it was the uh, I, I want to say it was Neiman's strength chance. It may have been it may have been special teams though, where the Dallas Stars had an odd man rush going the other way, and Hall got on his horse, got back there, and blocked uh, the pass uh, that would have led to a great scoring chance for Dallas. So he, he's a guy who can who can chip in in all three zones. Felino, we know what we can get uh, from him just based on watching him these last few years, what we talked about last week. Uh, but yeah, no, that was, I mean, that, that's, that goal is classic to Brusque, right? I mean, wins a race, beats a guy to a puck, gets right in the, right in the dirty area, boom, goal. I mean, we haven't seen that really since Nazem Kadri in 2019. It's been a while since you've seen that, that kind of gusto, that kind of energy. And what I liked about it personally was the fact that uh, DeBrusque got lost in the second period. There was a lot of PK, a lot of power play. I think he finished with under four minutes or just over four minutes. Wasn't playing a ton in, in the second period. And when that's happened in the past, he sort of disengaged and he hasn't given you anything in the third period. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost like the car, the engine shuts off and it can't get fired back up again. No, no, he kept going. And speaking after the game, he kind of said that, you know, his two line mates were in his ear. Like, let's keep going. Like, let's not let off the gas here. So. I think putting DeBrus with these guys, especially Felino, is going to bring the best out of his game. And obviously Saturday was a strong start in that regard. Yeah, so far so good. One, one game in, we're looking good. Um, yeah, so the Bruins, I mean, overall they dominated, I thought, five on five. And they had 63% of all shot attempts. Um, but the weird thing is they only had three high-danger scoring chances. And I assume DeBrus' goal was one of them. So, I don't know. Did you see anything in particular why they had trouble – getting closer to the net and why they, they settled for more shot attempts from the outside there. Was it something the stars were doing you think defensively or do you, do you see any issues there? It's not that I see any issues per se. It's just the stars are, are they're, they're, they play good team defense. I mean, that's kind of always been their MO, uh, especially going, going to Rick bonus as the coach. Um, you know, like, like they just got the guys that I think can make your life a little bit more. Uh, I don't know. It, it, it's hard to get on the inside against against some of these guys, you know. Like, like I know you want Eskin. you want to say you want to say it. Well, say they have Eskin and they have they have Hockenpah, they have Hockenpah, uh, they have Andre Sakara. Like these guys aren't like great, but they're but the majority of them are big or have a long reach, which makes it harder to kind of get to those areas. So you got to win races against that kind of team, I think, to get the high danger chances. Uh, and I thought they did a great job of that. A Dallas defenseman, by the way who looked like absolute doo-doo, is Ryan Suter. Your, your, yeah, your boy. The guy he everybody wanted really to sign. That they didn't give him a four-year deal. Oh, my goodness. If that was any indication of what's to come this year from Ryan Suter, 
I, I the Dallas Stars got suckered. I mean, they, they, like he he looks bad. He looks bad. Like he has the he has the uh, he has the hold against Marchant that that paves the way for the penalty shot goal, and he's just dominated throughout the night and in, in the in the defensive zone. I mean, not a guy that you could rely on to to be your top pairing guy opposite Ryan Su- opposite Charlie McAvoy. That's what he's going to play like. Yeah, no, he they they got suckered either way. You don't give a thirty seven year old a, a three year deal unless it's like a franchise quarterback. I mean, we're crossing four years now, but like. They, oh, he got four years for the Stars. So he yeah, I thought it was three because I was like, no one gave him a four-year deal. And I was like, oh, my God, they gave him a four-year deal. <laughs> wow. Yeah, no, that, that's a sucker move. That's, that was, that's, like, that's like Bacchus on steroids, that, that contract. Um, yeah, so I guess that's a good transition to the defense. Uh, you, we, we talked about their size on Dallas. And so I, I was going to say, I wish the Bruins could get more guys like that, and they got at least one guy like that, uh, Derek Forbert. I thought he had a solid debut, and I think I want to focus on uh, the penalty kill, which they went six for six on the penalty kill. And the the primary defensive pairing we saw, which what we were expecting, was Forbert and Brandon Carlo, and that is just two massive human beings with size and length, and they can, and they can take up a lot of space, and they can limit your chances. And I thought Forbert had a solid debut, and the, the penalty kill looked really good. What'd you think? Yeah, I liked his game. Uh, simple, you know. I thought Cassie had a great comment where he said, "If you don't notice him, it means he's doing his job." It's kind of like an offensive lineman, right? Like you always kind of heard yeah. that in football. If you don't notice yeah. them, that means they're doing their job. So, Special I teams. liked it. Um, they, they had a little bit, like the PK had some some moments there where you had two guys in the same spot. Um, you, you know, a little bit of some cross up. That's communication. That'll get better. Uh, ultimately, though, I mean, you look at it, right? Like, they incorporated a lot of new guys in their PK. Uh, Hala, yeah, we saw Felino. Nosek out there. Yeah, and they go six for six, you know? And, and say we were about the Stars. A lot of people don't think the Stars are, are where they should be, perhaps rightfully so. But, like, that's a power play unit that's got some firepower between Pavelski, Ben, Sagan. I mean, like, you got some weapons there. So, so to keep them at bay and to go six for six, I mean, that's a huge credit to this team, especially with so many new faces on on – you know, in their PK rotation. But I like that. I like getting all these new guys involved in the PK because that tells you what you can and can't do with this roster. So I think right off the bat, finding out, okay, this guy can do this, this guy can't do that. I mean, it's, it's, it helps you, you know, game one and then game 82. Yeah, it seems like a work in progress as far as the second PK unit behind, uh, at least at the forward spots. You got Bergeron and Marchand, obviously. But yeah, they're trying to figure out the right combination uh, as far as that second grouping, and maybe it'll depend on opponent going from game to game and things like that. But, I mean, you can't argue with the results, right? I mean, Stars have a good power play, and there were a few moments. Um, I actually had the Dallas Stars broadcast on for a little bit, and they were saying, oh, that was that was his spot when they were talking about Sagan and guys like that getting the shot. I was like, oh, that's where he wanted to take the shot. And, uh, and you know, Jeremy Swayman had a good look at the puck, clean look at the puck, and he made the stops. So, so what what did you think about Swayman? I mean, he looked as good as he did last year, right? Like, like he's, he's one of these guys, man, who just – he never really seems totally rattled. He never really seems like he's out of a play. Uh, his positioning is just so sound. Uh, I, you know, we're talking about the PK and, and the Dallas power play. There's that chance with about 20 seconds left from the first period where uh, Jamie Benn is all alone. Some sort of miscommunication or just a great play. I mean, who, who, who knows ultimately? I have to go back and rewatch it. But Jamie Benn is all alone to the left of, the left of Jeremy Swayman. He has time. He has space. Ben winds up, rifles a shot, 
swimming gloves it casually. Like nothing even happened. Like it was never in doubt at all. And that's kind of an example of Jeremy Swayman, you know, like what he can do. And, and so he looks as good as he looked last year. He looks as good as he looked in the preseason and he's off to a great start. So, you know, you hope he, you hope he keeps it going here. Uh, Obviously you have to acknowledge that not a ton of video on him, not a ton of data for, for teams in terms of tendencies and picking things out. So that'll, you know, Game 25, for example, might be a challenge more so than game one for him. Um, but ultimately, I mean, that's what you want, right? You 27 of 28, you'll take that. You'll take that for the Bruins every yeah. time. I mean, best case scenario, they have two great goaltenders. Worst case scenario, Jeremy Swayman is, is, is pretty good and has to shoulder the load at 22 years old. Yeah, you touched him on something there that, you know, he's still very young and inexperienced, but, in the, but like people just haven't seen much of him. So he might look good to start. But that would have been the danger with, you know, making him the clear-cut number one and like a workhorse, which I guess people wanted uh, just based on his 10 starts last year. How does he look in, in start number 50? You know, like is, uh, people are going to have picked up stuff on him by then. And you're, you're going up against professionals on the other side as well, you know. So that to me was the, the danger of, of making Swayman a workhorse so early in his career. And I don't think they want to do that anyway. And so that's, I think, why they, they sunk so much money into Linus Elmark. Uh, we're not going to see Linus Elmark until the weekend, Ty. So I guess this won't be a, a dated concept by the time people listen to this on Thursday. So uh, what, are you, what are you looking for out of Elmark? And, I mean, just what was his issue in the preseason, you think? Do you think maybe it was just going half speed because he's just sort of getting into a rhythm and started sort of like working off uh, the offseason rust? Or do you, did you see any, like, real problems with him as far as how he played in the preseason? I think Russ was a big issue personally. Like, like you go and watch some of the goals he gave up. He had some breakdowns in front of him, some breakaway goals, some, some set plays where the Bruins just weren't ready. I mean, obviously he makes that horrible mistake in overtime against the Rangers, but ultimately yes. I think it was shaking off the rust. I, I you know, you got to remember that, that his season was ended about a month earlier than it was supposed to. Right. He had the injury end of this year in Buffalo. Buffalo was a bad team to begin with. So, you know, the Bruins have said that it's a timing thing. It's a reps thing. It's not a, like, they think that shots are getting through him, but they think it's, it's a, he hasn't played in a while thing more than it's a structurally there's something wrong here. And we got to figure out what that is. So I, I think that with, with Allmark, when he's on his game, he's less active, right? Cause he's a big dude, you know? So, so you want him kind of squared up. You want him to not be swimming in his own crease. He's not Tim Thomas. And if he is Tim Thomas, that's not going to be a good thing for the Bruins. So, so he's kind of like Tuka Rask then, is what you're saying. Playing yeah, that's what, they want. Like, that's what they think he can be. That's what they want him to be. They want him to be, again, just less active. Um, that'll get half the fan base excited. Of, of where the shot is going to go. That'll, that'll get half the fan base excited, saying he's like Tuka. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> just wait till it's the two of them manning the nets with their – with their devil may care attitude. No. Uh, but I, I think that that's the thing though, is that they just with Allmark, they, they, they understand that he's kind of working his way back here. Right. And maybe now the games actually matter. He'll be settled in. He'll be dialed in. You know, he's not going to be worrying about this or that. Like it's just hockey now. Right. So that's, that's the hope. I mean, he's going to get a, a, you know, now he's going to play a wagon in his first game. The Sabres are on fire right now. 3-0 when we're recording this. Seriously, so you on the Sabres bandwagon? You on the bandwagon? No, no, they're going to be very bad. But this is always fun. It's always fun when a great team, is, where a terrible team is off to a great start or vice versa. Just the, It just becomes a relentless party. So I, I'm a big fan of it. I hope it keeps going. 
Um, it would be very funny to me though, if like the Sabres were great and like the Leafs or Canadians just stunk like that, that'd just be, I, I personally, and I'm feeling stronger about this than I ever have. I was saying on Twitter, I was like, I wouldn't be surprised if the Senators were better than the uh, Canadians this year. Right now, that doesn't look like the worst bet, in my opinion. That defense is bad in Ottawa, but the Canadians are a dumpster fire. But no, but with Mark, I think that ultimately, you're, you're going to see him go on a run here where he's going to rifle off, you know, four, three, four starts in a row because he's going to get hot. I mean, it's just, he's, he's, he's too good of a goaltender to not be that guy. Like, despite what we may say after the preseason or whatever, he's a lot better than people are acting like right, right now. Yeah, I mean, you're going to base it on three preseason starts. That To me, that's ridiculous. Um, the preseason, any other... by the way, never mattered before this guy, which is always funny to me. No, the preseason only matters if he sucks. That's how it goes with Boston media and Boston fans. That's just, that's just how it is, I guess. We're going to deal with that. Uh, do you have any other thoughts on Bruins season opener or anything big picture? Um, no, not really. I, I think that this team ultimately is going to be one of the better teams Eastern Conference. I still think they need another defenseman. I, I, I would love another another righty defenseman, even if it's just as depth. Uh, but but I like this I like this construct. I do like this team's grouping up front. I, I like their top nine. I, I think it's just they lose David Krejci, but there's more balance, if that makes sense. It's just like, you know, that that's crazy to say you lose a guy who put up sixty five points in his sleep, but you, you what you have now is you have a, a second line and a third line versus just having, you know, a first and and kind of a second line I know it's I know it's it's tough to say to, to like I'm not saying it's a good thing that they lost David Krejci and he just walked away but doesn't it feel like there's a weight off the shoulders that they don't have to they're not stuck in this never-ending quest to find the, the perfect line mates for David Krejci like now they have a second line that feels like they fit together and like they they feel like feels like they found something that works even if Charlie Coyle maybe doesn't score quite as many points as David Krejci like, I don't know. It feels like they have a good mix there. Yeah, there's just less uh, – I think pressure would be the word, right? Like, pressure on the first line, less pressure on finding the perfect guy for Krejci. Uh, you know, you're not giving Charlie Coyle the scraps on the third line and saying, I don't know, figure it out, man. Like, like there's yeah. just more, like, I don't know, simplicity to their game right now and less less about – Oh my God, we got to find this guy before the deadline, or we're going to be screwed. Like, no, they yeah, yeah, they're going to let this play out, and they're going to see what happens. So I, I like it from that standpoint. Exactly, yeah. The pieces are together, and now just go out and execute. I think that, yeah, like like I like I said, it's a weight off their shoulders. You said no pressure. I guess it's the same thing. They don't have to worry about finding how the pieces fit together. And now they they fit together, but now they just have to go out and play. So that's that's what I like about it. BackstageCountry.com, your online home for all things country music. Lainey Wilson is on a roll. She's delivering great music and teaming up with some of country's hottest acts. Text Lainey to 45911 to see which four Lainey Wilson collabs have us talking at BackstageCountry.com. Text Lainey to 45911 to get a link to the list sent right to your phone from BackstageCountry.com. Uh, so we can move on to one more hockey topic, um, which is the Tampa Bay Lightning are up, up to some shenanigans again. At least it seems like it. And it's with the this same exact team. player, same exact player, led this effing team down in Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is the bane of our existence in, in all sports right now. Uh, I guess we, we got the Rays in, in the baseball playoffs. But other than that, uh, so just to, just to recap for hockey, I know there's a, probably a lot of hockey fans that know the whole story. 
But last year, uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, they put Nikita Kucherov on long-term injured reserve. He missed 56 games. They kept him out through the end of the regular season, even though it, it seemed like he was clearly ready to come back before then. And he was, oh, he shot, was, out of a, he was shot out of a cannon as soon as they put him back on the well, – well, just to back up a little bit. They, so they kept him on long-term injured reserve, so he didn't count against the cap when he's on long-term injured reserve. That allowed them to not only trade for David Savard, defenseman at the trade deadline, but they got to keep all those core pieces intact. They didn't have to peel anything off their roster. So they add to the roster, and then they basically add Kucherov back to the roster for free in the playoffs when the salary cap doesn't, doesn't matter. So I, I think it was Dougie Hamilton that, that just called them right out in a post-game interview saying, well, you know, we're playing a team that's $18 million over the cap. You know, that's at least two or three good players there. Uh, I think Kucherov makes about $9.5 So obviously, you know, they circumvented the cap that way. And, like, people call them cheaters. It's not really – cheating they didn't violate a rule it's more like exploiting a loophole or like this is where we would use the term bush league because bush league really means like well you know you didn't cheat but you're being kind of a dick over there you know why are you doing this uh so i don't know can they close that loophole because now fast forward to this year they're they put kucherov on long term into reserve again and so now he's expected to be out until at least november 13th uh john cooper says Michael Keaton over there, John Cooper, says he's not expected to miss as much time as last season. And I think I saw another report that, like, you know, he should be back should be back in time for the Olympics. Uh, what are the odds that we get around to the Olympics or we come out of the Olympics and they say, ah, you know, just, uh, just needs a little more time there. And uh, they drag that out for another two months. Or no, even uh, two weeks. And uh, at the trade deadline, they trade for Jack Eichel or something crazy like that. And then, uh, and, oh, you know, Kucherov, uh, he had a setback. Uh, they have their own trainers going and hitting him with a crowbar to be like, oh, no, he, he has a setback over there. He needs, needs some more time. And are they going to pull this monkey business again? Because they, they haven't done anything to, to, to close that loophole. And I know you said before, like, teams should probably do more to, you know, maybe stop them or maybe get one back on them. But teams really shouldn't be able to – it shouldn't be that easy to, to circumvent the cap like that. Your no, thoughts. I mean, it, it definitely shouldn't be that easy. Uh, it is stupidly easy. It's, it's ridiculous that uh, you, can, you can just do this, basically. Like, 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 for example, right, the Blackhawks helped the Lightning this year. They took Tyler Johnson off their hands. They're like, oh, yeah, we'll take him. And it's like, okay, you're getting two first-round picks in return? If not, why are you doing that trade? Like, like, yeah. why are you helping them? And then they gave them Brent Seabrook, who's on, who's never going to play again. So he's on LTIR. So like, yeah, it's just, they're finding ways to like keep their window open, which yeah, it's smart GMing, but it is annoying. I think this year, however, I don't think they'd be able to pull off the same crap. I think the NHL would be like, we need daily updates on Kucherov. You're not doing this again because he came in last year. If you remember, that was a close series with Florida. It was going to be, it was going to be the Panthers and the Lightning a series the NHL has wanted for years, right? Because, uh, yeah. okay, our two Florida babies are, are good teams. And it, for and it delivered. First time ever. And it delivered. It was a good series. And it delivered, but there was a stink in the room because the stink yeah. in the room was Nikita Kucherov coming in and immediately scoring like seven points in three games. You're like, oh, wow, this guy, he hasn't played in months. How is he looking this good? Because he was ready about a month before the playoffs. And they were just like, oh, no, 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 he's not ready. Because they could dress him because they didn't have the cap space. Kutrov just sitting in the corner eating pieces of turkey and letting it rip. 
I mean, it was just ridiculous, though. Like, like I think he had, I think I want to say he had like eleven points in the first four games or five games. Like, just something absurd that you're like, oh, and he's playing like twenty five minutes a night. You're like, oh yeah, no, yeah. he's totally, he's totally working his way back. He's not one hundred percent yet. Like, and and so I think if they tried this again, I think teams would riot. I don't know why this loophole hasn't been closed yet. I, I think it's ridiculous, but I think with this one. I think it's mainly to avoid what you saw. I don't know if you saw this with Colorado last week. Where Colorado know. had to play 17 skaters because of the cap. And they had guys on COVID and they got they had a suspension. You don't get a break for a suspended guy. So, like, they didn't have enough bodies to call up from the mine. They didn't have the cap space to call up guys from the minors. And you can't put – I mean, you could. But, like, you're not going to put a guy who has COVID on long-term IR because he has to miss at least 10 games or 30 days, I believe is the rule. So, like – you know, like it kind of forces them into a weird spot. So I think with Tampa, another team against the cap, putting Kucherov on that just allows them to make call-ups without having to worry about dressing 16 skaters instead of 18 or, or whatever the case may be. So I don't foresee them pulling any trickery, although it, it would be hilarious if he's up to the Olympics. He plays the Olympics and they're like, oh, he, he hurt in the Olympics again. Sorry, he he's, out, he's out now. He's tweaking. He had a tweak. Yeah, so it's just, you know, I, I don't know, but I if any sort of funny business comes about at any point, I mean, the, the NHL has to get on them and and investigate, you know, what is just what is going on. We need we need doctors looking at this figuring out why this is happening once again. And but they're said, not as good as they were last year. Like they like they can't do what they did last year and just have him miss the whole season. They they they're not that good to 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 be without him for 82 games. So maybe that'll that, that'll help. Uh, maybe there needs to be something that hurts hurts the Habs or the Maple Leafs. Maybe that'll get the league off the rest. If it, if it somehow hurts Toronto or Montreal, that would be the, the way to get them going in that regard. Yeah, first round matchup with Toronto, they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> second, it starts, and do it. second it starts hurting the Bruins, ah, you know, just give Cooch more time, you know. I just, I mean, for me personally, like, I, I just don't really see – like, as much as I want to say, like, I think a lot of us right now are doing a bit, like, by making fun of them saying, oh, here we go again. Because I think I think deep down we all realize that this team desperately needs these guys uh, this time around versus uh, – they definitely need Kucherov this time around versus last year. Like, they lost their entire third line. I haven't been overly impressed with what I've seen from them out of the gate this year. I, I think they no. look beatable. Um, and, and I would also say that, I mean – this is the 82 game season, right? Like you're, you're, if you're going to be asking Braden Point and Stamkos to carry the load for 82 games while Kucherov, you know, pulls some salary cap loophole, I, I don't think that's a that's going to work for them this time around. Same thing with Vasilevsky. Like Vasilevsky was burning out in 2019 when they got upset by the Blue Jackets. He was burning out in 2020 before the pandemic paused the season. Brian Elliott is not that great of a backup goaltender anymore. So I look at that and I say, yeah, and I look at that and I say, okay, if, if Vasilevsky has to play 65 games, 70 games, like, and Kucherov's not there, this team might not, like, I don't want to say they might not make it, but like, they might be on the bubble, like, to be honest with you. Wow. You got, you got Tampa on the playoff bubble? Well, if Kucherov's out for the year, I, I, I would say so because I don't, because I think that Stamkos is definitely bound to miss 20 games at some point. He does it every year. Like, he, That's his true. body's kind of breaking down on him. And then who do you um, get? Yeah. Ryan McDonough's 32. Hedman just turned 30. Like, they're getting a little bit longer in the tooth where you kind of need 
that superstar guy who's going to put up 120 points in your lineup to, to be the force that you were these last few years, especially after losing uh, your entire third line. And also they don't really have the draft capital to make a big trade. Like, like, like they would have to, if they're going to make a trade to, to fill in for Kucherov, they're going to have to move something off their roster. I would imagine because they don't really have a ton of trade capital left, uh, be it prospects or be it uh, draft picks. So I think that if Kucherov were to miss the entire year again, pull a, pull a 2021 all over again, I don't know if they're nearly the, t- the team that we've seen these last few years. Yeah, and you would think teams are done doing them favors. So, Yeah, we'll see how it goes with Tampa. I, I didn't see much of the game. I checked in for a minute last night, but Florida looks better than the Florida Panthers. Uh, Spencer Knight, the rookie goalie, finally got his first start. He made 30 saves, and, and the Panthers won their 3-0. So, I mean, the Panthers look like they're passing the Lightning. So, I mean, I guess – that's the my, that might be the Florida team we have to worry about this year. Your guy, Spencer Knight. Yeah, that's my that's my guy. That's my guy on the fantasy team. He did put up some numbers for me, so that's good. That's um, good. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you though. Like, like, okay, like, who do you think they would try to get though? Like, if they could make, a, do you think Eichel would be like a like a realistic sort of thing? No, I don't. I mean, does I? I mean, I know Eichel doesn't have like a no trade clause or anything like that, but can't he still sort of force his hand by saying I only want to play here or there? I mean, he could, but that relationship is so fractured that I feel like they would just be like, "No, you're going to, you're going to Cleveland. Deal with it." There's not even a team right. in Cleveland. Not you're that this would make Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> not that this makes me like feel any better about him like coming to the but like, wouldn't, couldn't he just like refuse to play or refuse to show up if like if you trade me to that team, I'm not playing. You know what I mean? I'll give up. I'll give up my paychecks. I don't care. I think so. I, I like. I think he could do that. I, I want to say he could, but I. I because Tim Thomas did this, right? When they traded him to the Islanders uh, in 2012 or 20, whenever it was. When they traded the Islanders, uh, he, didn't, he didn't report. He was suspended. I, I don't know how it works, though, in terms of, like, if you, you – because I think teams can, like, toll your contract if you don't report. So, like, they can be like, all right, well, we're going to – you didn't report, so we're going to toll your contract for another year. So you're still with our organization. Have fun. And then it becomes like a stare down, which I think he's I already see. engaged in a stare down with, with Buffalo. So Okay, that makes sense. So I, I'm not sure how it would work out with a guy like him. But, but you know, you read all the national dudes and they're saying that the NHL is kind of getting involved now with the Sabres and Eichel and being like, all right, we got to figure out what's going on here because the NHL doesn't want Jack Eichel not playing hockey, especially with this new TV deal. American kid would be on Team USA if he got the surgery in time. Don't know now. Um, but I think that I think the league is now stepping in and saying, "You guys got to figure something out because this this isn't working for anybody anymore." Seriously, <laughs> I mean, where yeah, do you think he's going to go? You're you're if you had to make a prediction, Jack Eichel. Uh, I would still, if I had to make a prediction, I'd still predict the Rangers, I guess, because they have the legit. They actually have like the the best like cachet of pieces that they could trade, and it's like I mean that's a big market, and if they feel like they could take that next step forward with the, with the team they have and they could peel off maybe a couple, you know, high end prospects that would be worth their while, the Sabres while that, that makes the most sense to me. I think. I am going to go with the Vegas golden Knights. Oh my God. I think that that is. Yeah, it would be tough. It'd be tough because of the cap ramifications and whatnot, but ultimately I just look at that and I say that makes too much sense. And they have the pieces. Now, what, what, what worries me about that 
is that the fact that they are not like they're not willing to give up uh Peyton Krebs. Like that like that's like the big rumor. It's like you gotta give up something, guys. You like I, I know you're kinda new to the league and yet you think you can just get anybody for free, but you kinda have to pay a lot to get right. Well they already paid they already get, gave up uh what's his name? Brandstrom, the the big big time defensive prospect to get Mark yeah, who, Stone. Who right? kinda sucks actually. He's not even that good as it turns really? out. Really? He's, I, I, I mean, he's yet to break in the lineup in Ottawa on a consistent basis, which, like, is not a, a great thing because it's Ottawa. Well, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, you know, that's, 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 but that's it's, a not, freak, it's not very good. That's a friggin' steal for them, then, because Mark Stone's one of the best uh, right wings in the, in the league. Yeah, exactly. And, and so they're trying to pull off some more magic, but I think ultimately that, that Vegas is going to look at their roster, look at the fact they still haven't pulled off the thing, and I think their owner is going to go, Screw it, just get me him. I don't care because I, yeah. I think long. I think there is a need for a big number one center. Yeah, they don't have that true number one guy. That's the one thing they lack. I think is the true number one center. So that makes sense. Yeah, like Chandler Stevenson has been good. He's also playing with two of the best wings in hockey. You know, mm-hmm. so like that that definitely helps. Um, but but I, I yeah I I just it just makes sense to me right like and I think that the the Sabers would be wise to not trade it to trade him out of the conference. Like, deal with them twice a year. Don't deal with them five, four or five times a year. Just get yeah. rid of them. As, you know, so I think that's – so I would circle them as a team. And the Kings still make sense for me as well. Um, but but who knows now because Kopitar is kind of getting a second life here. Um, I don't know I don't know if you've been following this at all. I don't know if you've been – Yeah, he's on to a hot, hot start. Hot start as anyone in the league. Crazy. And it's crazy because what happened is they got Philip Deneau. Uh, from Montreal, who we know eats a lot of D-zone minutes, hard minutes, which is what Kopitar was doing. I mean, he was their Bergeron. He was doing everything for the Kings. Uh, so, but to now to get to know there, to take some of that workload off him, Kopitar's come to life. So now imagine adding Eichel to that, right? Like now you have a three-headed monster in L.A., which is what they had when they won the Stanley Cup in 2012 and 2014. So just those two teams make the most sense to me ultimately at the end of the day. So I'm curious to see how it all shakes out. BackstageCountry.com, your online home for all things country music. Lainey Wilson is on a roll. She's delivering great music and teaming up with some of country's hottest acts. Text Lainey to 45911 to see which four Lainey Wilson collabs have us talking at BackstageCountry.com. Text Lainey to 45911 to get a link to the list sent right to your phone from BackstageCountry.com. Yeah, I think trading him from from the Eastern Conference to the other conferences is the move there. Uh, another team that is that is well known for doing stuff like that uh, to cross sports here, the New England Patriots. Uh, yes, that, that is how I'm going to transition there. Going to make uh, a transition. Um, Ty, now this is a, a hilarious take that I have. Um, they need an outside corner. Now I don't know where that possibly could have come from. I don't know any players that they could have possibly had on the roster that could have filled that void. But I think it's clear after that Cowboys game that they, they're going to need help at outside corner, and it's not coming with, uh, oh, yeah, 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 they traded their only uh, good outside corner there. Uh, Stephon Gilmore is now on the Panthers, as we know. Uh, he back, he's back at practice today, so he's close to returning for them. So he's obviously – uh, healthy enough to practice anyway. I know there's some reports that he might not be ready to go right away, 
which I get he might not be totally in game shape this soon. But he's been healthy for a while, uh, so he's ready to go. Uh, it just sucks that they couldn't see eye to eye. They couldn't come up with anything to uh, some kind of solution. I, I mean, I, it's easy to say that, like, they should have given Gilmore a raise over paying Jalen Mills $6 million a year for four years. Um, but I don't know. Maybe maybe Gilmore just wasn't, wasn't you know, receptive to getting a one-year raise. And that, might, that sort of came back to bite him because he's not going to get a new deal with Carolina. And uh, but that just begs the question: Then why not just play play it out here? If he's going to play it out there, why isn't he doing it here? And so that just tells me that the two sides decided that we're going to part ways at some point. We're not going to see eye to eye on the thing, so we're not going to come to a new deal. And the problem that I have with that is they left themselves they left themselves without an outside corner to opposite J.C. Jackson, and so we're going to have Jalen Mills covering big talented outside corners. So. What Jalen Mills is going to cover Mike Williams when they play the Cowboy uh, Chargers in a couple weeks? Like, is, is, like J.C. Jackson's going to cover Stephon Diggs when they play the Buffalo Bills? And like, who's Jalen Mills going to cover? You know, like I, I get the Cowboys might be a little bit of an outlier because they're so stacked with talent at that position, wide receiver. But it's clear that Jalen Mills is not an outside corner, so that is that's one of the most important positions on a football team. And J.C. Jackson to me is. He's okay as a number one corner. He can play well, but like once you get once you get to these teams that have these multiple dynamic threats on the outside, you're you're just you're too thin there. And and I'm not even talking about like thin in terms of oh no, they might miss the playoffs this year. This is a long term thing. They don't have anyone long term coming through the, the pipeline unless you count Sean Wade, who they who they got from the Ravens before the start of the season. He was out this week with a concussion. But, I mean, and this goes back to the drafting of Joan Williams, who was a healthy scratch, and he can't crack the lineup now. So, uh, so I guess that's my rant. I don't know if you have, I don't know if you have a similar thing thought I'm curious on it. About with, like, with, your, with your opinion on it, like, as it relates to Gilmore, do you think that there was too much bad blood? Because it seemed like both sides were trying to be professional about the whole situation, even leading up to this. And then, it, and then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, he's gone now. So, like, I'm just curious what you think about that in terms of, like, was there – too much animosity maybe behind the scenes or, or just in general? No, I don't think it was bad blood or animosity. I think it was how they were describing it throughout the process, which is it's just business. And so I think they handled it uh, professionally, cordially. However, I don't, I, don't think, I don't think that there was like a, a big blow up or anything between them. I don't think like Bill Belichick and, and Stephon Gilmore got in a fight. Like I don't think it was Gilmore that, that cracked Bill's nose open, as we saw in the, the game last week. But um. Yeah, I think it's just they, they they just came to an agreement. It's like, you know, I think it's just best for us to part ways. It's you go find a new home and play your ass off in Carolina and get yourself the best deal you can from somewhere else and we'll we'll cut our losses and move on. Um I just don't get it from the Patriots side. It's just like what are you left with? The guys you have, like you have plenty of guys that can play well on the inside. Jonathan Jones, really good player. Jalen Mills not an outside guy, better suited on the inside. And he played well against Chris Godwin, the, the Bucks wide receiver, who's more of an inside receiver. So they, they have guys that play well on the inside. They, they brought in Brian Poole for a workout today, a former Jets cornerback, probably just gathering some intel, but he could play on the inside. They brought up Miles Bryant, who's assigned to the main roster now. He's, he's pretty good for, a, for you know, a depth reserve guy, but he's more of an inside corner. They just have so many inside guys and nobody on the outside. Um, you know, outside of a handful of like elite players, I don't know why they, they have so much trouble finding guys like that. 
And I mean, there were guys there in the draft, but then again, you probably don't get Mac Jones if you, if you draft, you know, JC Horn or, or someone like that in the first round of the draft. But yeah, I, I don't think it was a contentious, like, I don't think it was a big blow up, uh, bad blood sort of thing. I think it was just business, but I seriously, I just don't understand why the Patriots would leave themselves in this position. That's just how I feel. Yeah. And I, and I think that you're right in the sense about like the, maybe like the, the follow up because they did trade him home essentially. Like, like they didn't yeah, they send made him a, to Siberia. Give him, him a nice soft landing spot for him. Yeah. But you're right that it does create a gigantic hole in your roster. And now you say, okay, well, can we, can we flip that pick that we got for Kilmore for the same kind of position? And will he be as good? And the answer is probably no. So that's where it gets bizarre. I mean, that's where it gets, it gets frustrating too, because you know, the difference between this team being uh, having a winning record or a 500 record and being where they are right now may very well be an outside corner. Like it may just be that simple, especially with the way that they got gashed against the Cowboys. That was painful, dude. That was, yeah. I, I was sitting on my couch. I couldn't imagine you actually being there and being like, Oh, here comes another big play. Great. Chalk yeah. it up. I mean the third and 25 play. I can't, I can't get past that one. It's just, it was, it got to that third and 25 and I was like, all right, here we go. Just, just, just don't even just don't give up the, the twenty five. <laughs> that's all. That's all. That's all you had to do. You can, you can give up ten. You know, make it make it a fifty something yard field goal for Greg's run. That's that's fine. You know, give up something underneath or break up the pass, and then you can play prevent defense on fourth and twenty five. And then you know the Cowboys have practically no chance there. But yeah, it's frustrating, man. And after rewatching the game, like the front seven wasn't that bad. It's just Dak Prescott's a special player and his ability to escape the pocket and then make up plays on the fly and find open receivers downfield. I mean, that's a reflection of a lack of fast athletic guys who can play well on the outside and keep up with those guys down the field. You know, if they had, if they had Gilmore out there, I mean, I, I know that they couldn't have had Gilmore out there cause he was still on PUP, but like if they had someone of that caliber out there, they probably could have played well against CD lamb. Like if he can't throw to Amari Cooper or CD lamb, is, are they going to score 35 points and gain 560 yards, whatever it was, just thrown to the tight ends and running it with Zeke Elliott? I don't think so. So that was just a, too big of a mismatch. And it's a, and now, like, there's a domino effect here because now you're probably going to franchise tag J.C. Jackson. You know, either that or, you know, go cornerback first round next year in the draft, which I don't, I, I don't know the draft prospects. I don't know if there's a lot of great corners out there. But, I mean, right, they're trending. Barth, and he's going to list off 30 people. Look there, yeah, Barth. Barth is already at work on that. He just he, he heard us through ESP. Um, <laughs> his spidey sense just went up. <gasps> Got to do draft research. He's, he he just he just pulled up the list of names like as we speak. Um, but yeah, I mean they're trending towards another top half of the first round pick, unfortunately. Um, so yeah, no, I, I I really don't feel great about the secondary right now, and I, I guess I was a little too confident in their ability without Gilmore. And I mean the Jalen Mills signing. Like I don't I don't want to hold it against him because they're they're he's playing out of position right now. And like I guess that was the plan. Like I don't know. Like did they did they 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 had to have thought at some point that they were gonna get Stephon Gilmore back and then at some point it just got to a point where they said, All right, well I guess I guess this isn't gonna work out. Cause I can't imagine they went into the season envisioning this to be their secondary. These these were the guys they were gonna have on the outside. Um, I don't think they put him on PUP with the idea that we're going to, we're going to wait it out and then try to, you know, work out a deal for you. You know, like that just doesn't make any sense to me, but um, 
Yeah, feel bad about the secondary after that game, but I don't know. Maybe it's just a one-off and it was just a tough opponent. But at the same time, I mean, if you want to make the playoffs, they're they're probably going to have to they're going to have to pull an upset over the Chargers, I guess, or you know, one of those teams that split with the Bills. Um, but yeah, but this gets to my other point that I want to get to, Ty. And I've been I've been harping on this a little bit uh, with those post-game podcasts that I do with Barth every week. It's that it's a week-to-week league. And that's why I wasn't – you can't just look at the schedule and say, well, that's a loss or, well, that's a win. Um, I, the Patriots are playing up and down to the level of their competition, which is a concern. But I mm-hmm. think it's a good sign that they are hanging in there with these good teams. And if they can come up with a way to start making these big plays when it really counts at the end of games, like we saw the defense made a number of huge plays in that game against Dallas. They just couldn't come up with the big play at the very end. Now, if they could start, if that could start translating to clutch plays at the end of the game, like Kendrick Bourne, seventy-five yard touchdown, like we're, we're, the offense is getting uh, week by week, they're inch by inch, incrementally, they're getting better, which which I like to see. Defense feels like it's getting worse, but um, but that, but I digress. Week to week league, and so if you look at the rest of the schedule, really, it's just the the two Bills games and the Chargers games. The one game against the Chargers, I should say, are the only games that you look at and say, like, they, it's really going to be tough to win that. Every other game should be winnable. And even those games should be – I wouldn't be shocked if they split with the Bills this year. Like, the Bills just lost to Tennessee. And, like, why are people saying, like, oh, Tennessee, that's a loss. Tennessee doesn't look that great this year. Uh, the Cleveland Browns are 3-3. Three and three. They're coming here in Week 10. They don't look great. That's not a guaranteed loss because, oh, no, they have Baker Mayfield and, and Miles Garrett. Like, oh, no, Kevin Stefanski's coming in here. What the hell are they going to do? Um, <laughs> like, like seriously, like, they, they should beat the Jaguars. And they, they, if, they don't, if they can't beat the Jets, that's a disaster. They should beat the Jets this weekend. And so, like, I feel like every one of these games is winnable. Problem is every, all, most of these games are losable, too. And so, right. Mac Jones is quickly learning. Mac Jones in particular, because, you know, rookie, quarterback, major role on the team. He's quickly learning that these games come down to a handful of plays most of the time. And even a game like that against the Cowboys, it's, it, it comes down to just a handful of plays. I, I would even say it just came down to that third and 25. That and maybe deciding to punt on fourth and three in overtime as opposed to going for it. Like those, those oh, are the two I plays that, that really that, – that play and that decision really stood out to me as what like, truly cost them the game. Um, but yeah, like these games come down to a handful of plays and maybe, the, maybe they can start making those plays and like you're seeing promising signs on the offense. It's just the problem with the defense is they might need to bring in reinforcements and you know, we'll say the trade deadline's coming up. So we'll have to start looking ahead and see if there's any possible targets for them. But, um, yeah. And, and rant, I don't know your thoughts. I mean, no, like it, it, you know, you brought up a great point that I, that I, I feel has been the case, right. Where, where they, it feels like when they fix something, something else goes wrong. It's like, it's just an infuriating game of whack-a-mole where, yeah, it, okay, we just took care of that. Okay, here comes this thing now. Like, like it feels like, and I, I might be wrong here, but it feels like the run defense has gone a little bit better than where it was in the beginning of the season. They have. They've tightened that up. They're fifth in the league in average rush yards allowed up the middle. So that, that's a sign that Devon Godchow and Lawrence Guy and those guys are, have tightened it up. So they've tightened it up, and as they've tightened it up, now the passing defense is like it is just horrible, right? Yeah, like you're just court. giving up these massive plays. And I'm watching it going, this is the same team that like bottled up the Bucks for the most part. And we could say, oh, Brady was nervous. He had he had whatever. It was rainy, whatever. 
No, they still made some plays in that game and some some pretty damn big ones. And they made some plays in this game as well, this Dallas game. But they just ultimately, they they it just doesn't happen for them for the full sixty, and that's what's killing them right now. It's just the big like, the big plays were the were the is the big difference in the last couple of weeks. They're starting to give up big plays, so that that's the big difference to me. Yeah, and it's brutal. I mean, it's just so it, that that's the part that's just killing them. And, and you know, that's why, like, I, I yeah, I agree. They need some reinforcements. It's just for me, it's about the price because I don't know if this team is really is really worth buying in on because, because again, like if they do make it, they're going to be, you know, a wild card team or a lower end team. And they're going to play one of these teams you're talking about that has multiple weapons, multiple big threats on the offensive side of the ball. Like top of my head, I'm trying to think like, all right, you got the bills. I, I still feel like the chiefs are going to get there like to one of the top spots. I don't, I'm not necessarily a big believer in that division, but if they don't, it's going to be the chargers who, as you just alluded to have weapons as well. So it, it, they're in a weird spot here, but they definitely need help. I think that if you don't give them help, that's basically, you know, that's negligence on the part of, of, of the team to be like, no, nah, no, nah, we're fine. It's like, but you're really not. You're giving up historic, historic numbers on, on the, in the passing defense game right now. So I, I agree. I just, I don't know the names out there that are worth it. I don't know what the price is for an upgrade. I mean, the last deadline deal they made was what for Sanu? That was a second round pick. I don't want that again. You know, like I know it might be different because it's corner versus wide out, but still like, they need something, but price is the name of the game for me. Yeah, I don't know who's in, I don't know who's uh, exactly looking to get rid of an outside cornerback. So that's that's something to think about. But uh, I think it was Mike Reese actually who posted. Uh, there was an ESPN article where that for each team they picked the reporter to pick a player that they would trade or pick a player that that not that they would trade but would be likely to be traded. He said Nikhil Harry, and that's something that has been brought up before. And like you know. It's your classic change of scenery deal. So, I don't know. Maybe they maybe they could swap Harry for a cornerback instead of a, a like a he's at a day three draft pick. So if they swap Harry for a cornerback, it's not going to be anyone particularly good. But you know, if anything, they just they just need bodies. They need someone with size and experience playing on the outside who's better suited to that sort of role. And then maybe Bill and Mike Pellegrino can coach them up. And maybe that. Maybe that could make the other pieces fall into place and Jalen Mills can play in a, a spot that he's better suited at. So they just need a guy who can play on the outside, and that would be an indictment on Joan Williams, who can't get on the field even though he's healthy right now. So that's that with him. Um, we, have a little, we have a little time left, Ty. We were talking before we started. Uh, we, we would only get to this if we had time. But <laughs> we don't need to spend too much time on this because by the time people are listening to this podcast, uh, game five of the Red Sox Astros series will be over. But uh, Laz Diaz had himself a night last night. Now, before I let you go into your uh, little spiel, <laughs> I think the commentary got a little bit out of hand with that one pitch that, that Diaz missed. People are acting like that pitch was over the middle of the plate. And, uh, yes, yes, it was a strike. And, yes, it was over the plate. and should have been called a strike. Uh, I just think it got a little, a little crazy. I mean, I think we lose sight of the fact that I think the real issue in the game was the Red Sox left 11 runners on base. They struck out 10 times. J.D. Martinez went over three with three strikeouts, and the bottom five hitters in the order were combined for one for 14. That being said, this could just be a, this could be a major issue with baseball at large because uh, umpscorecards.com, which you saw this, they track the accuracy and the consistency of all the umpires. Last Diaz, bottom 6% in the league in accuracy in all of baseball, bottom 12% in consistency as a home plate umpire. 
Why are they putting this guy in such a pivotal game in the ALCS is the question. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the part that's infuriating because he he's, by all measures, all the data we have available, he is not a postseason caliber umpire. Why is he getting that call? Now, now it's one thing if you're the guy at second base. All right, you got you to gotta watch second base. All right, whatever. No, you put this guy in a primetime spot for four hours of our lives that we're never going to get back. And it's, that's, that's what I hate about it. And it played out exactly the way that we all thought it would. It was a wide, it was a, it was a low, high, and wide strike zone all night long. But after 50 outs, now it's getting squeezed. I mean, that's, that, that can't happen. And I understand that, like, yeah, people do go over the top with it. But that's what makes it so maddening. For four hours, we've established that the strike zone is, is a little bit wider and higher and lower than we're used to. We've all made peace with that. We don't like it, but we've made peace with it. As far as a game four, ninth inning, two on, two out, two strike jam, I don't know if Nathan Rivaldi could have thrown a better pitch for a strike three. I really don't think that he could have hit more of the plate without it being launched into orbit. So he made a competitive pitch. He made a great pitch. To not get that call after all the crap I've seen for the, for the three hours and 59 minutes before that just pissed me off and just set me over the edge. And it's perfectly Laz Diaz. I never want to know an umpire's name. I know this guy's name. He's up there with Angel Hernandez, C.B. Buckner, and Joe West as just like the four horsemen of the apocalypse that you know that you're going to get an awful night when these guys are on the mound or are behind, behind home plate. Like, it's just awful. So I, I, I hate it for that reason. I, I want to see games decided by players. And yes, Jason Castro made the play two pitches later, but he should have been in that situation to begin with. So I think that all the things that are mentioned are true. The Red Sox didn't help themselves, but we are here on Wednesday talking about Las Diaz. I never want to talk about Las Diaz. I want to talk about Altuve, Correa, Betts. I mean, not Betts, exactly. Jesus. Bolkarts, <laughs> Devers, like these guys want to talk I mean, about. We can talk to talk about the umpire. We can talk <laughs> yeah, Dodgers, Dodgers talk podcast um, available yeah, on no. iTunes. Yeah, no, I mean I agree. I I hate complaining about the umps. I hate talking about the umps in the first place. But I mean, I'll give you this: baseball umpires are way bigger hardos than than any other officials. Like uh, you mentioned in your column, like Wes McCauley is a delight. Like that, like that uh, time when he went five minutes each for fighting, like that guy. <laughs> <laughs> like the, I love Wes McCall. He's like mastered that. the dramatic pause of goals as well right. when you get reviewed. Yeah, like that those guys are fun. But um yeah, like baseball umpires, they love to they love more than any other rep in any other any other sport to insert themselves in the game and act like I'm laying down the law and that sort of so like that that I hate. And like they, they get they love the theatrics and the dramatics of arguing with, with a manager and throwing people out and all that. So that is as good of an argument as you'll ever see for robot umps. But I get it. People like complaining about the officiating, and that's why your column is getting so many eyeballs on it today. People agree. People love to talk about it. So I get it. Uh, I'll refer to, to, to Big Cat from Barstool, big fan. He had a good tweet about it. He says, I get the allure of robot umps, but it's a dangerous concept. If fans can't complain about refs, they lose 50% of small talk conversation in life. Refs and officials <laughs> messing up give us something to complain about and blame our problems on that's worth something. Um, so I, I guess I agree with that, Dan, but um, yeah, I mean, I guess that makes me the weird one. Cause I hate talking about, I hate talking about officiating. I'd rather talk about why the players sucked 
And uh, there were things about the players that sucked last night. But, you know, I guess we'll – I don't know who the umpire is for game five, but we'll see. Hopefully, uh, when people are listening to this, hopefully we're not talking about another uh, night of uh, poor umpire. I hope it's Leslie Nielsen from Naked Gun. That's what I, that's what I want. To <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The ball's not even halfway to home plate. Steve, <laughs> that, that would be that's what I want. Um, yeah. Any, any other closing thoughts before we get out of here, Tyler? Uh, no, I, uh, I, I have nothing. I'm uh, just excited. This podcast back. I'm, I'm happy that people seem to like our first episode. Let's hope it keeps going here and, and we'll just keep building off it. But I'm, you know, we have the field of dreams moments where it's, if you build it, they will go. And everyone yeah. seemed to, everyone we wanted to seem to arrive, and and those who haven't yet, welcome aboard. Uh, eventually, we'll 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 take you on with open arms. So yeah, they're coming. Just excited to be back. This is good. Yeah, excited to be back. I think people really took to the name and the logo and the aesthetic and all that, which was sort of a question going in. We didn't know how people would take to it, but they they saw it and they they seemed intrigued, and uh, so that's good. Our Twitter the Twitter followers for the podcast more than doubled what uh, with the announcement. So. Off to a great start. Glad to be back. We uh, looks like we really we got a tight ship running right here, so we'll we'll try to keep it going. Anyway, if you made it this far, thanks. I love you. It's the Sports Hub Underground Podcast. I'm Matt Dahl. He's Ty Anderson. Thanks for listening. Talk to you again next week.